1: You can go to the first station right here.
3: The CDC issued its first guidance on safe activities for Americans who are fully vaccinated against the coronavirus, a first step in America's efforts to resume everyday life.
5: You can visit your grandparents if you have been vaccinated and they have been, too.
3: Fully vaccinated people may gather in private, without masks or social distancing. They can also visit unvaccinated people living in the same house, as long as they have no risk factors for complications. If exposed to an infected person, vaccinated individuals do not need to quarantine or get tested if they have no symptoms. More than 60 million Americans, or 18% of the population, have received at least one dose of vaccine. Major employers, including airlines and media, Packers are setting up clinics to vaccinate workers on site and the Biden administration says it's working with states to make it easier for the general public to sign up for vaccinations.
5: Too many websites are confusing and don't work. There are not enough call centers or other ways to schedule a vaccine.
3: Connecticut, West Virginia, and Ohio are easing COVID restrictions on businesses, but keeping statewide mask mandates in place. Governor Mike DeWine says Ohio's mandate reduced daily case numbers, and a deal with educators has 95% of his state's schoolchildren back in class.
4: We made the superintendents and CEOs sign a paper, and if you go back in school, promised by March 1, we will vaccinate everybody in your school that wants to. And it's worked exceedingly well.
3: Federal health officials say high school students will likely become eligible for vaccination in the fall. And clinical trials of an experimental pill show promising results as a COVID-19 treatment, reducing levels of coronavirus in infected patients. The CDC still advises against non-essential travel, even if you're vaccinated. Politico reports senior health officials initially planned to update this guidance, but then decided to hold off.
1: Okay, Jonathan, Syria, Fox. So, well, now the CDC, our overlords with a capital L, uh, who control our thoughts and our ability to move about and be free people, have decided some really interesting things. If you are fully vaccinated, you can, what, still not travel. You can mingle indoors <clears throat> with other vaccinated people. Or you can be with, uh, like, people of a single household that are unvaccinated but not more than a single household that are vaccinated. And, um, you know, you still have to wear your mask when you're outside. Are you making notes? Because you you need to make notes. There are lots of rules here. And it's interesting to me how COVID knows. You know, it knows if if you are inside and you are visiting with people who are, you're a fully vaccinated person and you're indoors and you're visiting with families from a single household, COVID knows that if you add another family, That's uh, from another household that it's going to attack. uh, It's going to make you sick. It's going to be more dangerous than if you just had a one single family household. But wait a second. What if the other family household that would be breaking the rules didn't carry the COVID virus, but the one that you chose that was your one single household without masks? Wait a minute. Well... Okay, so so just, but good. We listen, it's good news. I mean, it's good news, right? Because everyone's getting the vaccine, and that's going to make everything all right. Well, I have to tell you, this morning, I have so much news for you, and my challenge will be to get, as it always is, but I have to say there's more than normal this morning, of things that I don't think you're going to hear any other place, or at least not many places. And so let me share with you, Uh, that yesterday um, Austria has suspended the use of AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine after a death. Austrian authorities have suspended inoculations with a batch of AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine as a precaution while investigating the death of one person and the illness of another after the shots. Federal Office for Safety in Healthcare has received two reports and a temporal connection with a vaccination from the same batch of AstraZeneca vaccine in the district clinic of zet Zwettel in Lower Austrian Province, it said. One 49-year-old woman died as a result of severe coagulation disorders, while another 35-year-old woman developed a pulmonary embolism and is recovering, it said. A pulmonary embolism is an acute lung disease caused by a dislodged blood clot. Now, they're assessing it right now to find out, you know, they don't know if this is caused from this AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine, but it seems uh, pretty suspicious. It's from the same batch, and it's two women. And it seems like um, it's related to what we had read earlier about this. Uh, this I, look, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, as a non-scientific person, it sounds to me like what I had read to you last week about this thing that was happening to people that was causing their, their, uh, their blood not to clot. And was causing a, a, a significant, I don't know, I'm not saying percentage-wise, but not a few people were, re, were uh, uh, developing this after receiving the vaccine. I don't know which vaccine, uh, but it seems to be a theme right there on that. Now, this is from another source. And this is the one that you might not hear about. So let me just say that this is from what's called VARS, V-A-E-R-S. It's the primary mechanism in the U.S. for reporting adverse vaccine reactions. Reports submitted to VARS, V-A-E-R-S, it's it's an acronym, V-A-E-R-S, require further investigation before determination can be made as to whether the reported adverse event was directly or indirectly caused by the vaccine. Okay, so this is what they're reporting. A number of injuries have been reported to the CDC after COVID vaccines climbed uh, climbs by nearly 4,000 in one week. In other words, injuries have climbed by more than 4,000, and here, here's what they are. Between December 14, 2020, and February 18, 2021, 19,907 reports of adverse events have been reported, including 1,095 deaths and 3,767 serious injuries. A third of the deaths reported occurred within 48 hours of the vaccine. 48% of the people who died became ill within 48 hours of being vaccinated. And let me just, there's a chart here. Let me see. I'm just going to read a bit of it because charts are really hard to translate into words on radio. But there were 1,095 who died, 403 I had a permanent disability. Uh, Now let me balance that for you. Uh, 7,263 recovered. 33 resulted in a birth defect. 755 were life-threatening. 6,979 were not serious. So the death report from that particular period was 5.5%. Permanent disability was 2.02%. You know, I'm just going to say off the cuff before I read more of this, did you know your chances of dying from COVID are less than that? You know, I've read those percentages to you before. That just really strikes me in this moment. Let me read further. Again, this is the report from um, VAERS, and it it is affiliated with the CDC. These are the reports of adverse effects from the vaccine. About 21% of the deaths were cardiac-related. Uh, The spike protein that the body is instructed to make by mRNA vaccines like those developed by Pfizer and Moderna have the potential to cause microvascular injury, inflammation, and small blood clots called microthombi to the heart, brain, liver, and kidneys in ways that were not assessed in the safety trials. Of the reported deaths, 966 were in the U.S., 129 outside the U.S., The average of the age of the deceased was 77.8. The youngest was 23. 53% were male, 46% female, and 1% no gender. Of those who died, 56% had received Pfizer, 43% got Moderna. uh, There were 160 reports of adverse reactions affecting pregnancy, including 47 miscarriages and preterm births. There's more. I mean, obviously, there's more on this, but... I just, think how, I, I just think it's um, unconscionable for people not to know about this. And uh, look, most of the people came through that just fine. I know a lot of people who've been vaccinated and they seem to be doing fine. But you have to know what the risk is. And you have to also understand this is an experimental stage. This is just experimental. And there, if something happens to you, there is no way of suing. There's no way of holding anyone accountable. Uh, if you lose your livelihood because you lose your breadwinner, there's nothing you can do about that. So I just, um, I just want you to know. Now, I, um, last night, well, no, not last night. I don't know where this was. This is an interview that I watched this morning. I watched almost all of it. It was fascinating. And this is um, a, a Dr. Bhattachara from Stanford University. Uh, they have formed what they call he, along with, well, I don't know about hundreds, 10s, 10s of 20s, you know, lots of people. I I was reading the list of doctors from all over the globe who are infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists have signed uh, what's called the Great Barrington Declaration, and it is pretty stunning. Let me read just a little bit to you. As infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection. And let me just let you hear him say uh, how he feels. About, this is just a two-minute excerpt from his uh, interview with Naomi. Uh, I think it was Naomi Wolf. Let's listen, clip two.
0: Sure. So uh, the Great Banking Declaration, it comes from two basic facts. One is that people who are older have a much higher risk from dying from COVID than people who are younger. And not just a little, it's like on the order of a thousand fold difference from the oldest and the youngest. That's a really important fact, uh, because we know who's most vulnerable, it's people who are older. Uh, the, the, so the first plank of the Great Branching Declaration, let's protect the vulnerable. Seems reasonable, right? That you, you have this very sharp age gradient, let's take advantage of that. Let's let's use our our ingenuity, our resources to make sure older populations, people with some chronic diseases, don't. Uh, to face risk from the virus if we possibly can. The other plank, uh, the, the idea is that the harms, the lockdowns themselves impose great harm on people. Lockdowns are not a natural, normal way to live. Everyone listening just can understand this, right? It's not normal to not send our kids to school. It's not normal to uh, hold people back from work. It's not normal to not be able to look on people and hug your children. It's not normal. Uh, none of this is normal. And it has great psychological and medical and other kinds of consequences. And it's also not very equal. People who are poor face much more hardship from the lockdowns than people who are rich. You know, you can stay in, uh, you can stay locked at home and, and have people deliver stuff to you if you're rich. But if you're poor you're, or you have a, you know, you have a job as a grocery clerk, you kind of have to work, even if you're in the high vulnerable group. The second plank is let's lift the lockdowns. So those go together. You protect the vulnerable, protect the elderly. Do everything you possibly can. That that may involve, you know, sort of closing down, like making nursing homes much more difficult to visit, things like that. And now it, what it involves is prioritizing the elderly for for vaccinations. Um, and then, uh, but for, and for the rest, the lockdown harms are worse than COVID. The lockdown harms are worse than COVID. So that's the argument for lifting lifting the um lifting the lockdowns because mm-hmm. we're harming our kids. We're harming the poor with the lockdowns in ways that are almost impossible to recover from.
1: Yeah. I, I but Let me synopsize this. Uh, again, that's a professor from Stanford. His credentials are amazing. I didn't have time to give them to you. Uh, we will put that interview on our Facebook page because I want you to hear all that he has to say. And also, Uh, The link to the Great Barrington Declaration. It's not that long. It's just a few paragraphs. They say those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying home when sick should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally. Restaurants should be open, on and on and on. It's pretty amazing, pretty bold, signed by, by scientists from all over the world. You should watch it and share it with your friends, okay? This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
6: Christians, they're suffering big time in Africa, and they need our help. Hi, this is Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and Pastor Lumo ministers in Mozambique near the Indian Ocean. He's been beaten in jail, not for what he believes, but for how he lives out his faith. You see, Lumo has been quietly and faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims, and many have come to Christ in recent months. But extremists here, they have assaulted him, his family, and many in his church. But you know what? They're not asking for an end to the persecution they face. They're praying for Bibles to open and read every day, in order to be able to endure and persevere as new followers of Christ. Hey, give thanks if your pastor hasn't been beaten in jail, but please don't turn a deaf ear to these pleas for Bibles. Instead, help support the church in Africa by sending a Bible to these waiting Christians at only $5 a Bible or $100 Sins 20. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800 e s w o 800-YES-WORD, or visit SendBiblesNow.org. That's SendBiblesNow.org, and God bless you for caring.
4: Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next.
6: Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595.
4: There's always been something off-putting about President Obama. He would say nice things to your face, but then attack you in private. Two-Face, a serious character flaw. In public, he praised blue-collar workers who lived in the Rust Belt, but in private, he called them bitter, people who cling to their guns and religion. He told Pastor Rick Warren that he was still evolving on the issue of gay marriage, but in reality, he had already evolved. A book delivers yet another Obama two-face, this time involving Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, Obama told a group of wealthy black businessmen that Buttigieg would never be president because Americans would not vote for a short gay man. The revelation was made in a new book written by reporters for The Hill.com and NBC News. Obama said Mayor Pete was too short, he was gay, and he looked too young. Now, some might say Obama's comments are homophobic. They certainly would have had President Trump said the same thing. I'm Todd
0: Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Uh,
2: Senator Marco Rubio calls this a digital book burning, but of course it's three years late. Why now? Why do you think your book is being banned now by Amazon?
5: You know, it's hard to, hard to say because they haven't said anything to us. Uh, they didn't communicate to me or to the publisher before they removed the book. And once they did remove the book, we reached out to them to ask what's going on and no response. So who knows uh, why they removed the book? Now, the timing is suspicious, because as you point out, it's three years after the book was published, but it's the very week when the House of Representatives is to vote on the so-called Equality Act. What's the Equality Act? It's the act that would add gender ideology into the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And so the timing is a little suspicious, uh, but we haven't heard a peep from Amazon on what the rationale actually is. One thing we're going to have to think about is that it's not just big government that can be a threat to our liberties and ultimately to our flourishing, to our happiness. It appears that big tech uh, can just be as much of a threat. And so we're going to have to think through how we as conservatives approach both the governmental side and the big business side, because both of them seem to be hostile to people with traditional American values.
1: All right. That was the voice of Ryan Anderson. Ryan was uh, with Heritage Foundation and became a real powerhouse in fighting gay marriage. And he wrote a book called uh, When Harry Became Sally. And that's the book he's talking about that was removed from Amazon uh, because, you know, it's not suitable. They don't find that suitable for people to read. Uh, And of course, a few, I I don't think we ever even had a chance to talk about this here, but uh, Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, the video about his life that I've talked so much about, Done interviews with a producer. Created Equal, which is incredible. Uh, Amazon decided during Black History Month. Well, that wasn't you know that that wasn't quite. Uh, they couldn't make that available anymore. And now I just got this yesterday. Thomas Sowell, who's a uh, very well-known black economist, uh, has a book called The Vision of the Anointed. Self congratulations on a base as a basis for social policy. It's uh, under review and it's not currently available for per- purchase on Amazon. Well, this article really caught my eye because I do use Amazon a lot, so this, this um, interaction with my next guest is going to be kind of me talking to someone, a friend of mine, out loud about my own um, involvement or use of Amazon and uh, how we can stop that. Joy Pullman is the executive editor of The Federalist. Uh, she's the wife and mother of six children, but she is a powerhouse. I I got to know Joy when she was writing all about Common Core She's written several books. One is How to Control the Internet So It Doesn't Control You, uh, and also classic books for young children and other things as well. She's just written this article called I Haven't Used Amazon for Almost Three Months, and I Don't Miss It One Bit. Joy, thanks for joining us. Oh,
2: thank you for having me.
1: You've been using Amazon. You said you confessed, and this is like an alcoholic confession. I've been using. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you've been using it for fifteen years. All right, and how, how have you been using it? I mean, what was your use of Amazon?
2: Well, it started out, uh, you know, in college. It was basically, you know, to to buy textbooks every semester. I found it really useful, especially to get out of print things or things, you know, at a, a lower cost than the sticker price. And um, so that was really where it all started. And, of course, it kind of tracks the development of the company is really starting in the book market and then expanding to everything. And then over time, you know, we, we uh, became Amazon Prime members about three years ago. And so, you know, obviously people who were value could get uh, sometimes even same-day delivery, but next-day delivery of basically everything under the sun. And as you mentioned, I have six kids, and the oldest one is 10, so they're very little. It's really hard to get out of the house. Um, and it's you know it's hectic and a hassle to manage all those kids in the store, so I just found it really convenient to you know hop over onto my computer i don't uh, i don't use apps if I can help it, so hop over my computer, you know, type in the thing I want, click click and it 's coming the next day um, so just the convenience of that um, I really appreciated, but over time I just and I also really loved you know I thought you know prime day and all of the black Friday specials that 's kind of like a mom shopping thing gives you a lot of Those, you know, endorphin rushes from, you know, from the shopping experience, and I could do that all from home while nursing a baby, so very convenient, especially for a mom like me. But over time, I just became to get kind of uh, just, rather than getting excited, I would get a little bit, you know, kind of just sick and just not enjoying, you know, paging through results rather than it being a quick process. I would want to get, you know, something that's good in quality and wouldn't be able to find it. Um, Or, you know, things would arrive and I would be all excited about them, and then I'd realize, oh, this isn't really that great. It breaks really fast, or whatever the case is. And then, you know, returning anything or kind of trying out is a big hassle, obviously. So it kind of, you know, takes away the benefits of clicking if you have to go, again, bring your kids to a store to return something. Anyway, but also... Um, I just also began to feel really kind of, uh, I, I, I honestly in my mind use the word fat, like just feel really greedy and selfish about all the, the ease of buying things made me buy more things and not as good things and, you know, waste money as well as it wasn't often saving as much time if I'm paging through these results, which I just hate paging through things. It drives me nuts. Um, And then over time, I was also learning about how Amazon participates in things that really conflict with my personal values. You mentioned in the introduction, you know, it it is obviously you know run by people who believe in in banning um, ideas from public discourse. Um, And of course, while Amazon will still sell things like Mein Kampf, you know, a racist diatribe by Adolf Hitler, um, it you know would ban any question of the you know what might be going wrong about chopping off minor children's healthy body parts. Um, so, and, and we know where kind of this sort of spiral of censorship is going is increasing, and it, is, there's no check on Amazon that doesn't come from you know them basically losing money. So, so for as well as Amazon's participation it there has been linked to use of um, slave labor in China, and you know we know our global trade with China involves, um, and, and it's very hard to track down and pin down. Uh, the exact involvement of anything coming from China, of whether it has been created by or affected by slave labor, because China, frankly, you know, uses that as as, uh, a weapon of its totalitarian dictatorship, and I have moral problems with using things made by slaves. (laughs) Um, So for all those reasons, you know, Amazon stopped being really fun and convenient, and it just started weighing on my conscience more, and I just decided... Right around Christmas time, in my usual, I would usually be using Amazon a lot more around that time. But I just stopped using it as much. I just, I just felt so reluctant and really conflicted in my conscience about it. So I just decided to see if I could avoid it. And then I just took a check in, you know, recently, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I actually haven't used Amazon, you know, since mid-December. Um, okay. So I was amazed at actually how easy that was, and I plan to continue doing that. Yeah.
1: Okay. I love it. Uh, I really do. I'm inspired by this joy, and uh, I, I mean, I'm. I'll be, uh, my confession is, that I guess probably. I yes, I do shop a lot on Amazon too, and, and I echo everything you just said. I'm a Prime member, uh, as is my husband, and um, uh, because I because I'm busy, like you, I don't have six kids, but I'm busy, and uh, it's right, very right. very convenient, and I like that. Um, and this whole business of censoring books is pretty current, isn't it? I mean, did I miss something? It seems like it's been a pretty, pretty open platform. I think there was a dust up a few years ago. I can't even recall what it was, but I thought that the Amazon was brought to uh, account, and they, they, you know, they, they stopped doing whatever it was that they were censoring. But now here we go again, and it's like, um, it's like uh, I, I predict it'll be an avalanche. I think of oh man. Who doesn't have their books available on Amazon, Joy? All, all of our friends and good people do that, don't they?
2: Oh, of course they do. I mean, it's just, it's the place to, it's almost the default for so many people just to look for anything, including books. And I mean, and it's actually, I mean, it, it's a huge powerhouse in the book space that is directly attributed to, you know, the rapid decline in local bookstores, as well as a number of competing book chains like Barnes & Noble um, and Borders, for example. So, I mean, Amazon has been a huge um, entrance, but you know Amazon's business model also involves, according to you know federal investigators, they're alleging as well as Wall Street Journal investigations, um, you know it, it, it offering you those books and, and everything else at a, maybe a slightly cheaper price. Often is at an expense to the market diversity in the market and uh, competing options that help keep it honest, because it will often, according to those investigations, um, it undercut prices. So Amazon will on purpose sell things at a loss, less than, you know, it pays for them to undercut competitors and take over the whole market entirely. So they're deliberately seeking monopoly status. And once somebody has a monopoly, they've destroyed the infrastructure necessary to compete against them. And so once they get to that position, it is much more easy for them to then start using their weight, their power. They're, they're the only one left in the market, so then they can start doing whatever they want. So I think that's what why we're seeing The censorship that it's engaging in begin right now is because Amazon is, I mean, Amazon is being, I think, the number one, um, the number one leader, or the made the most money off of lockdowns. you know, because obviously now we've been forced to conduct all of our transactions through Amazon, so they're getting a cut every time. And so, and and I don't think it's also a coincidence, then, that the Washington Post, owned by the same guy who owns Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is one of the champions of lockdowns and is helping direct Joe Biden's push for those to continue, even yes, as infection I, rates dramatically decline.
1: Yeah, and Joy, uh, because uh, this is probably pretty, uh, you and I, we've known this a while, a long time, the, the Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos connection, his ownership of the Washington Post, his hatred for Donald Trump, and uh, the, uh, you know, the middle America, really, and yet he's the one selling middle America so much of their goods, uh, and the Washington kind Post, of kind of selling us the
2: rope to hang our communities with. Yes,
1: yes, (laughs) killing our small, putting small businesses out. I think people pretty much know that, but I think it needs to be said in the context of uh, it's time to consider how we're going to spend our money and what we're going to do to business with. And one last thing before I want to ask you, practically speaking, what you're doing, Uh, because people need to know. They're saying, yes, I would like to do that, but I don't know how to do this. Uh, So hang on one second, because the other thing you point out, because it is all linked to this. Amazon's a server, host, whatever they call their big thing that they do uh, in the sky—you know, the uh, invisible world of the internet, the cloud. They uh, have—they're the ones that kick Parler off, Um, and and so Parler is that social free—you know—exchange of ideas, social media company that they just put out of business. They flipped the switch, and that was it. Uh, So Amazon has an uh, opinion about things. Plus, you already talk about their link to China and slave labor, which we could talk more about. But people want to know, Joy, what are you doing? How are you doing this? Like when it comes to books, what, what are you, where are you getting your books?
2: Right. So the most difficult part for me was this transition. So, every, you know, I had to basically retrain. All, all, in my brain, you know, many shopping roads lead, lead to Amazon, right? So my impulse is, oh, when I think, oh, I need, I don't know, even toilet paper. You know, oh, I want a book, uh, whatever the case is. Uh, my, it's almost like my fingers, you know, immediately respond to that by typing an Amazon in my browser search bar. So I had to retrain my habit for that and basically get in the way of my own, you know, in my own habit and basically say, no, let's take a pause here. Where else could I possibly get this thing that I want right now? So of course it depends by item, and I and that was and that was retraining myself and redirecting my habits was the hardest thing, um, you know. For books now, I actually so I uh, as you mentioned, I. Um, I actually um, help a uh, local private volunteer library. So I work with a number of all of other volunteers, and we've been developing a private library. So I've been buying and looking at books for many, many years now on a semi-professional basis. So, but the quick place for folks to, who do that um, um, is, if you go over to betterworldbooks.com, that's a place, especially a lot of public libraries, uh, will sell, you know, their books that they're phasing out, and it's a great place to get any any kind of book and either... In print or out of print, but another one that I really like for just books specifically um, for things that are in print is indiebound.org. So that allows you to buy a brand new book like Ryan Anderson, but through your local book um, publisher. So they're getting a cut instead of Amazon. And it, again, comes online straight to your house, um, just like Amazon, but you're redirecting the profit from that to your local bookstore. Um, they are the ones who get that instead of Amazon. So. It's really easy for you, you know, just to, if you remember that and practice that, if you just use it a couple times, it will become your new habit for where I get books online. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, then you just have to, you know, and
2: so I, I tried to say, I'm going to do this a bit at a time, right? You know, I'm going to, I had a gift for some, you know, friends who had a baby that I was looking for, and I would have gotten that on Amazon. So, But I said, okay, so where can I buy a gift for, a, a, you know, for a baby? You know, I, I bought them a, a baby backpack carrier. I love those. So I asked a friend who actually, you know, knows the industry, can you help me find a small local seller for that? So I linked to that in my article. But it just really is going item by item, you know, saying it's okay if I do this slowly. I don't have to maybe, you know, I'll just learn new habits for each item that I want to buy. And then other things, for example, you know, just basic necessities of life that I can get in my normal weekly or bi-weekly shopping trip. So instead of clicking over and buying it on Amazon immediately, I just add it to my list. And then when I... In shopping, it takes, you know, five seconds to just run by and grab it there instead of on Amazon. So I have to wait five days, but, you know, honestly, you should, <laughs> I should be able to do that. So it's just a matter for me of, you know, taking a step one at a time, saying any little bit I can do helps and, you know, and then appreciating when I, you know, do a, a new thing. And then, a, and then that's added to my repertoire and then I can move on to something else and learn about where to get it uh, besides Amazon.
1: Yes, well, and that's a, that's a great challenge, Joy. And I'm actually I'm going to give this some very serious thought too. You talk about the the patience that it requires just to wait. You know, you don't have to have everything right away. The other thing you talk about is just uh, not indulging our own greed and materialism, especially when Amazon is using its market power to destroy uh, this country. Uh, it's a, it's a couple. It's kind of a win-win for us in the terms of kind of regaining maybe our own character and control. Uh, And also then not helping, uh, you know, some big entity absolutely destroy our families, which is what they are about. That's it is exactly that is exactly where we are with that. It's not an overstatement. A joy, and plus all the Chinese slave labor, which we didn't really touch on, but it is horrendous what they're doing in China in every way. And they're the people making the stuff that we are ordering. And that's your point, too, Joy. We're going to put your article on our Facebook page. I, well, you know, and hopefully they'll keep it on there. It's I Haven't Used Amazon for Almost Three Months, and I Don't Miss It One Bit. Joy, great challenge, and so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay. All right. Uh, Stay tuned because next I have several just really incredible stories to share with you. And so um, don't go away. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Dear One Million Moms, I've always thought that maybe your organization was making a mountain out of a molehill. But today,
2: I cannot believe what I just saw on my TV.
1: Concerned about the trash flowing into your home through today's media that simply will not censor itself? Make your voice heard. If you see trash in the media, tell us. Use the Submit Trash button at 1millionmoms.com. That's 1millionmoms.com. And thanks.
0: Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the
4: American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and
5: others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. What is the source of America's greatness? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Alexis de Tocqueville, a 19th century French political thinker and philosopher, had this exact same question. On the heels of the French Revolution, he came to America in 1831 to investigate America's ascendancy. In doing so, he found that America's greatness did not lie in her economic system. It did not lie in her banking system, nor did it lie in her educational system. He found America's pulpits aflamed with righteousness was the source of America's greatness. He opined that America is great because she is good. But when America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Let us pray for a restoration of the flame of righteousness in our pulpits. Listen each weekday from
0: 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
3: Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Nancy Pelosi was just barely stopped from including a mandatory minimum wage of $15 an hour in the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, a mere 9% of which goes for actual COVID relief. The CBO estimates that the minimum wage increase will put 1.4 million Americans out of work. So while some workers will get $15 an hour, a whole lot more will get zero. And child care costs will go up by 30%. Jesus famously said, a laborer is worthy of his hire. So how much is a man's labor worth? It's worth whatever someone else is willing to pay for it. Government has no business interfering in the negotiations between an employer and an employee. The minimum wage for every man is easy to determine. It's the minimum wage a man is willing to receive in order to work for someone else. We
0: don't need government to figure that out. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Joe Biden couldn't remember yesterday the name of his Secretary of Defense or even that of the Pentagon in which he works. This is unfortunately not an isolated senior moment of forgetfulness. It is now part of a pattern of behavior that dates back to his nearly invisible role in the 2020 campaign, a pattern that raises serious questions about Mr. Biden's mental competence and fitness to serve as president at a time of growing domestic and foreign challenges we can no longer accept less than full disclosure about the Commander-in-Chief's condition. That's especially so if, as seems to be the case, such secrecy is enabling not just elder abuse, but implementation of the most radical leftist agenda in the nation's history, an agenda that might be a non-starter if Kamala Harris, the most radical leftist vice president ever, were formally in charge. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Okay, Sandy Rios, back with you. I, yesterday I mentioned to you that um, we've been tracking the aftermath of January 6th and what the FBI is doing and what uh, the things that are being written and the dangers really Uh, to regular Americans who were there to support the president because they felt there was uh, election-miscreant behavior, and uh, they were upset about it, and they wanted the House and the Senate to actually uh, look at the evidence, and that's why they were there in support of the president. And So a lot of innocent people have been caught in this web uh, with these horrible accusations, and yesterday I told you that uh, I'm collecting uh, on behalf of... uh, Mike Waller and others, a video from you if you were there on January 6th, not in the Capitol, not looking for that, looking for the uh, just the uh, the uh, gathering for President Trump, the the walk towards that area, the crowd, the people, uh, just what, what you have. Maybe you have clips, a uh, video, and we're looking for that. And if you have – some of you have already sent that, so thank you. Thank you very much because uh, – we're not looking. I don't think for anything, uh, you know, startling. Uh, we're just looking to illustrate who the crowd really was and what they were doing. Just the truth, okay? Just the truth. Uh, the you can send it to me at sandy at afr sandy at afr and I will make sure it gets to the right place. Okay, so uh, you'll be helping in in uh, some way or fashion as we try to get to get to truth and not um, and defend people that uh, should be defended on that day. And I think there are many. I want to give you an idea of um, what's being written about, uh, about many of you who attended that day. There's a long article by Andrew Feinberg. Um, it's in The Independent, and the title is, QAnon has merged with white Christian evangelicals, and the results could be lethal. Okay, so it goes on to say something about, um, let's see, I've got to read a little bit of this before I move to tell you what's happening here. Uh, The FBI and uh, Department of Homeland Security warned the perception of election fraud and other conspiracy theories associated with the presidential transition may contribute to domestic violent extremists mobilizing to violence with little or no warning. So uh, the reason for the alarm, writes uh, Andrew Feinberg, after the January 6th insurrection failed to stop lawmakers from certifying Biden's win And the new president sworn in on January 20th, QAnon believers and other Trump-centric cultists repurposed a decades-old conspiracy theory to fit their delusions. In short, their new narrative posits that Donald Trump will be sworn in as the nation's 19th real president on the fourth day of March. We talked about that yesterday, and I warned you not to listen. I, I will repeat. I have to repeat this. The truth right now is as incredible as any conspiracy theory. And that's why it's not easy to discern between some of the stuff. I don't know anything about QAnon, except I know that what he's saying is true, that people were believing that President Trump was going to be reestablished on March the 6th. And uh, so allegedly, that's why the Capitol was, you know, the the bars, the, the Berlin Wall remains around the Capitol with the, uh, with the uh, National Guard still there because uh, the QAnon folk were going to march uh, on the Capitol because they expected President Trump to be instated. That, that is not true. That is a conspiracy theory. That part, absolutely, uh, the whole pedophilia thing, not that there isn't pedophilia and a horrible problem with it, but somehow, someway, uh, there's someone um, who's sort of spinning these webs, and, uh, I, and I'm just, I'm not encouraging any of you, please don't listen to that stuff. I know it's hard to know then. What can you trust? And I'm, I would like to think that you would trust me. And I'm telling you, I know a lot about what's happening on the inside. Not everything, but I know a lot about it, and it isn't that. And so, um, so I'm just discouraging you from embracing this. But I am going to fight like heck against people like Andrew Feinberg, who was telling us that the merger, there's a merger of those conspiracy theories and evangelical Christians. In fact, uh, he quotes this guy named Clark. It's not going to get better anytime soon, unfortunately. Conspiratorial thinking is very closely associated with high anxiety situations and endless wars, elections, and national tragedies. Uh, There has been a crossover between QAnon systems and evangelical Christianity that is going to imbue right-wing extremism with a sort of violent fanaticism more associated with Al-Qaeda or ISIS. You see how this goes? You see how this goes? Completely irrational words, but they're, you know, being spurred on and inspired by the Justice Department under Joe Biden and by the FBI under, uh, yeah, what's his name? The guy with the blonde swoop, Yeah. So, um, you know, he's the new director. I don't know how – Christopher Ray how he ever survived the Trump administration. He should – yes, I do know because the chief legal counsel, the White House counsel, Pat Sippel, I believe – it Pat, I can't think of his last name, uh, was now we know the one who warned President Trump. Oh, don't fire Christopher Ray. That will look bad. People might not like you if you fire Christopher Ray. Uh, yeah, so uh, he didn't, and now we're stuck with this guy who is carrying the water for all the bad actors that carried the water so horribly, horribly for the American people uh, during the Trump administration. We're learning so much more about it. All right, but I want to go back to January 6th because I have a lot to tell you. Ashley Bablett's family is considering uh, she's the girl that was shot. Uh, she's, they are considering a lawsuit against the um, Capitol Police officer who shot Ashley, I'm not sure who other, who else they would sue, but the officer has not been identified. According to this article, he is reportedly in hiding out of fear for his safety. And uh, the lawyers for the Babbitt family say basically this: Ashley was just five foot ten, two hundred and ten pounds. She was not armed. Uh, the officer never attempted to arrest her. He did not call on his fellow officers to arrest her when they could have done it so easy, easily. Instead, he fired a shot into her chest. Witnesses confirmed that the officer did not give Ashley a single verbal warning during the firing. In fact, Ashley was not even aware that the officer was present as he was located in the doorway of a room off to the side of her field of vision. And so they're collecting videos and all of that. We'll see what happens with that, but that's an update on that. But this is the thing I wanted to actually get to for sure. This is an article in American Greatness written by Julie Kelly. And I'm going to read most of it to you, okay? And here's the title. A Family on Trial for January 6th. Bruno Joseph... I'm sorry, I don't know the pronunciation. C-U-A. I'll just say Kua, because I don't know what else to call him. Bruno Joseph Kua lives on a three-acre farm in central Georgia with his parents and two younger siblings. The 18-year-old likes to fish, build tree houses. Neighbors, family, friends, and classmates describe him as a hardworking, kind, respectful, and patriotic. He's not into drugs or alcohol. His biggest high last year was organizing Trump truck rallies in his community. Before he traveled to Washington, D.C. on January the 5th with his mom and dad to hear President Trump's speech the next day, Bruno was finishing online classes to earn his high school diploma. His mother, a veterinarian, stopped working years ago to homeschool her children, like many teenagers interested in politics, Bruno is a bit of a rabble-rouser and a social media loudmouth. The Kua's, after hearing the president's speech on January 6th, walked to Capitol Hill. Bruno made his way into the building. The teen later posted on Parlor that he, quote, stormed the Capitol with hundreds of thousands of patriots. Yes, we physically fought our way in, end quote. Now, Bruno Kua sits in jail in Washington, D.C., awaiting trial for his involvement in the January 6th Capitol breach, the youngest of nearly 300 people so far arrested under the U.S. Justice Department's unprecedented investigation into the events of that day. Unlike tens of thousands of protesters who occupied the nation's capital for months, including young people who bragged about it in the Washington Post, uh, a will be given no mercy, and neither will his parents, Joseph and Elise. Bruno was arrested on February 5th by FBI agents in Atlanta, A grand jury indicted the high schooler on 12 counts, including assaulting a police officer and possessing a, quote, dangerous or deadly, end quote, weapon. For the first three weeks following his arrest, Kua languished in solitary confinement before being transported to jail in Oklahoma City, where he shared a cell with 30 other inmates. His family, like the family of dozens of January 6th defendants, has been denied the opportunity to post bail. And there's a chance the teen will remain behind bars until at least May when his trial is scheduled to begin. U.S. District Court Judge Randy Moss is weighing whether to finally release Bruno back to his parents or keep him detained for at least another two months. Moss The judge seems inclined to side with government lawyers who insist Bruno is a danger to the community based on social media posts expressing outrage at the election, mocking Democrats, including Joe Biden, and encouraging protesters to bring, quote, pepper spray, tasers, baseball bats, end quote, to the Capitol. Big talk for a kid traveling with his mom and dad. Some of the posts being used as evidence against him, in fact, are dated after January 6th. But according to federal prosecutors, his rants on Parlor make Bruno a national menace. And this is their words. The Justice Department, this small sample of public social media posts on the platform Parlor by the defendant in this case, evidences a full picture of who this defendant really is. A radicalized man with violent tendencies and no remorse for his participation in the violent insurrection that occurred at the U.S. Capitol. Assistant U.S. Attorney Kimberly Paschal wrote in objection to Bruno's pretrial release. Further, Bruno's refusal to accept that Joe Biden fairly won the presidency is more proof he should stay in jail, prosecutors say, and this is the quote, The offenses committed by the defendant illuminate characteristics inconsistent with a person who could follow orders given by this court, or indeed any branch of federal government. The defendant has espoused belief in the outcome of the 2020 presidential election and violently acted. Oh, disbelief in the outcome of the 2020 presidential election and violently acted on that world view. The government. This is now back to the article. Both judges and lawyers routinely cite a def- the defendant's doubt about last year's election as evidence of wrongdoing. The criminal case against Bruno, however, is weak. Did he act badly? Yes. He climbed on scaffolding outside the Capitol building and went into areas he should not have entered. Uh, Some of his social media posts are alarming, but not against the law. Does his conduct merit the necessity of a first-time offender spending months in jail even before he has a chance to defend himself? Absolutely not. Bruno faces three weapons charges. He carried a small baton into the building, but did not use it either to attack anyone or vandalize the building. The evidence presented in charging documents is shockingly thin, and there's more to that, but I'm going to move down. The government doesn't just view young Bruno as a threat, but also characterized his parents as threats. Bruno's father was interrogated by federal prosecutors about his private conversations with his son after the riot, demanding to know why he and his wife didn't stop him from entering the Capitol, what punishment he faced once they returned home, and why they didn't do a better job of monitoring his social media accounts. Joseph Kua described their frantic attempts to contact contact their son while he was inside the Capitol, to no avail, as cell service was shut down. Here was one exchange from a February 12th detention hearing between Joseph Kua and an assistant U.S. attorney. Kua, it was a rally around the election results. We should see the real results and that type of thing. Government, do you recognize that is not true? Kua, yes, I do. Government. But you recognize also that you participated in that activity with your son. Do you share in the responsibility in your son's belief and his actions? In other words, okay, so this is the writer again. In other words, attending a rally is a crime, and taking your son is akin to mental child abuse, not to mention the audacity to question election results. Astoundingly, one prosecutor suggested Bruno had been politically brainwashed by his parents because he doesn't attend school outside the home. This is the attorney... Ryan Buck Buchanan. I don't believe that home incarceration will work because he is an 18-year-old who's homeschooled. And so this case did not arise out of him traveling or going different places. It's simply these things that he has ingested, not just from the internet. Therefore, he argued these parents are not suitable custodians in part because they may have participated in some of this activity well as well. It would not be a stretch to say these parents could be charged with crimes of their own, not merely for aiding and abetting the activities of their son, but for unlawful entry onto the Capitol grounds. Um, so, moving to the end, the mother says, "Since he has been arrested, everything has changed for us." A tearful Elise Kua told Judge Moss last week, "We just want our family together. I don't even want to hear the word politics." Bruno feels the same. We are completely broken. And Julie Kelly, the writer, says, and that's exactly what the U.S. Justice Department wants. We'll put this article on our Facebook page, and you can read and share it, and uh, stay strong. We talked about courage yesterday. We're going to all need tons of it with a capital C, and you know what? We're going to get it because God is with us. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
4: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast